Uh, we are looking at uh, in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, your Bible app, you want to open it to Ephesians chapter 4. About halfway through, or three quarters of the way through chapter 4 right now, and uh, looking at verses 25 through 28 this morning. And we are looking at some of the most practical pages in all of Scripture. Now, that's a dangerous thing to say because it might communicate wrongly, which would not be my goal, that there are parts of the Bible that um, are impractical. Uh, certainly some texts we read have a feel that feels like, okay, I know what to do with this right away and I don't have to give it much thought. That's where we are now. That's where we are in the, in the back half of Romans, right? Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul uses the first 11 chapters and he lays out, he, he unfolds some incredibly practical, deep doctrinal truths, which are then unpacked in the remaining five chapters. Similarly, here in Ephesians, the first three chapters, uh, he unloads and just unpacks this doctrine of what it means to be united with Christ and, and being one in Christ and how God is united. God the Father is uniting everything in the world and in the heavens in Christ. And now he's showing us, practically speaking, what this looks like and how it's lived out. But uh, awe is a practical response to reading glorious truths about the Lord. Uh, Reverence is a practical application when we read in parts of the Old Testament and even the New where wrath and judgment are are being made visible from the Lord. And so we'd be wrong to say there are parts of the Bible that aren't applicable, but uh, I think we'd all agree that this uh, is pretty easy for us to apply. Oh, no, it's not easy for us to apply, but it's easy to find the application as we're looking at it today. In fact, what we're looking at now uh, is, is the application of what we started to look at last week as we talked about the principle of, being, of putting off and, and putting on. And so we'll, we'll review that quickly as we get going. But um, remember, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is laboring in love in order to show us what it means to be in Christ. That's important. That's the thing theological doctrine called the union with Christ. We are in Christ and um, so that we eagerly welcome what God demands of us. You see, if we don't realize that we're in Christ, well, then trying to fulfill God's commands becomes burdensome and we see it as near impossible. And that's actually right, except that we're in Christ, which, we means, which means that we have everything in Christ to fulfill all of the righteousness that God calls us to. So we're not left hopeless. We have a Savior who's gone before and has accomplished it on our behalf so that we can walk in Him as a result of it. So when Paul says in Ephesians 4-2 that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, he's telling us how to live it out or how how to act it out or how to act in line with our new corporate identity as a unified body of Christ, and as individual members of that corporate body. We're not all just spaced all around independently of one another, but we're part of one another, part of the body, and Christ is uh, is the head. So he's just explained in the preceding verses that it makes no sense for our lives to look similar to those who don't know Christ as their Savior. That is not to say we're better than they are, it is to say that we are empowered to walk in a way that glorifies God through thankful, faith-filled obedience. Why? So that they would see that we 
who were hopeless are no longer hopeless, and they who are hopeless don't have to be hopeless. That's the purpose. That's the grand purpose. We're learning what it looks like that we are now we in Christ together. Uh, School's about ready to get fired up here in a couple weeks, next week, I guess. And, um, you know, I was thinking about the fact that we are all in the school of Christ. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about last week, that, that you learned Christ, if indeed you have learned him, he says. That the truth is in Jesus. And then he talks about putting off and put it on. We might not call it school. Everybody's in school, right? Not just, not just elementary school that we think of or, or middle school or high school. But we're all in school of some sort. We're all learning from someone. The question is, whose school are you in? You in your own school? Who are you learning Christ from? How are you continuing to grow in Christ? Or are you in the school of Christ? Have you enrolled yourself? Have you set yourself up to learn from others who can help take you further in your walk with Christ? Another way of putting it might be, or another, I guess, perspective would be, who's in your school as you are in the school of Christ? Who's coming along behind you? Who, who can learn from your life experiences that trusting our own hearts and desires is is futile, as Paul said last week. Uh, in, in verse 20, this is what Paul speaks of, right? He means that these Ephesians and us by extension, we learned Christ as we learned Christ from the Word and from others. In fact, in the Corinthian church, there's some division going on. Well, we follow this guy. We follow this guy, Paul and Apollos. And Paul, Paul draws out the point. He says, look, and I'm going to summarize here, but he basically draws out this point. Uh, Paul and Apollos were servants through whom the Corinthian Christians believed, as the Lord assigned to each. That's an interesting phrase. The point was that the vehicle through whom they and we learn Christ is not the most important focus. It's important, but it's not the focus. The main and most important enduring focus is that we learn Christ as accurately portrayed through the Word of God. We need to learn Christ. And so as Paul develops this, learning Christ means that when we believe the gospel for the very first time, the same pattern is followed as we continue to put into practice our walk with Christ. The only way that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is by following in the same way that we came to Christ in the first place. Now we grow and it becomes more expansive and it, and it grows deeper in our lives. We don't repent and get saved 30 times to get saved 30 times. No, but there's a continual life of, of repentance and, and uh, the idea of putting off and putting on. Look at how this aligns with verses 22 through 24, right? We put off the old self, which is what? Corrupt through deceitful desires. Don't miss that word. Corrupt through deceitful desires. This is a picture of, of repentance. Paul is telling us that our hearts... Our inner desires follow the direction of our thinking. Think about it like this. Um, our thoughts, oh, uh, our hearts are like boats with rudders. Our hearts are like boats with rudders. The, the rudder turns the boat, as we know, right? And in this analogy, our affections, which is, which is what or whom we love, is the rudder. And as you see on the screen, as J.I. Packer and Gloria Furman said so well, our thoughts steer the affection rudder of our hearts. And we need to be, and we have a need to be renewed in the spirit 
of our minds, which they didn't make up on their own, on their selves. They got it from Ephesians and Colossians and many other places, in fact. We need to put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is God's means for transformation, right? And then we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Why? Because we're united with Christ. We are in Christ, and therefore it's possible, so we walk with hope in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, or simply walking or living, as I said, in faith-filled obedience. And so what happens is Paul takes us from, from the highest heights, the grandest vistas of learning Christ and the new creation to the, to the nitty-gritty details of human behavior that seeks to glorify God. And in the next several verses, which we will cover over the next three, four weeks, uh, he, he begins to talk about what it means for us to tell the truth and control our anger. What it means to be honest in our work and have kindness of speech, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven us, how to love one another and how to control ourselves sexually, how to control our bodies in a way to glorify the Lord. And each of these exhortations is, is filled and focused on the personal, interpersonal relationships of the body of Christ. You'll notice that they, they fill out the interpersonal or the horizontal aspects of the Ten Commandments. Not perfectly and not necessarily in order, but you'll see that begin to be filled out, right? And then the other vertical aspects of the Ten Commandments are, are, are implied in how we're able to do what we are able to do. And so more specifically, he's intending to foster unity within God's people. God wants there to be such a great unity at Oak Grove Church that those in our surrounding areas would take notice. I mean, that means a remarkable unity. That means a, a selfless unity, not a, not a self-serving, working together, cooperative, although there's certainly cooperation, but a, but a selfless, dying to self, serving one another, rendering ourselves to one another, deferring to one another out of a desire to be united into the head of this body who is Christ, and for his glory. And then commentator J.L. Hulden says, uh, while he talks about these things and they're positive, he mentions evils that are be avoided, and they are all destroyers of human harmony. So every time he mentions put this off, he's talking about something that divides us, something that breaks down, that shatters, that destroys unity. And it's not simply by a fact of a decision of one reunited. There's real work to be done when it comes to bringing two divided people or ten divided people back together uh, in reconciliation. So beyond giving up lying and stealing and losing our tempers, we're to speak truth, work hard, be kind to others. And each of these has a, a positive motivation. And when you really, when you read it, it's tantamount to a, a theological reason, although it's not always explicitly stated in that way. And then toward the end, he sums it all up in positive exhortations to imitate God and to walk in love uh, forgiving as Christ forgave us. Paul is giving us opportunities to put off the sinful flesh, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new flesh, which is in, or the new self, which is in 
Christ. Uh, man, I, we, I know we mentioned this last week, but just want to remind you again, you saw cards in, in every row. Um, there's a conference this weekend called Unfiltered. It's next Friday and Saturday. And uh, there's some information on the back as well. Uh, it would be helpful if you could go register for that. There's a link here, also a link in the bulletin. Uh, I really want to encourage uh, every guy, really, unless you're providentially hindered, unless you're unable to go, I really would encourage you to go. This is an opportunity to grow with our friends at Blessed Hope uh, in building one another up in the faith. Men talking about what it means to grow in Christ and put it into practice and, and to flesh it out, right? So it's Friday from 6 to 9.15 with dinner, Saturday 8 to 2.15, so just half of the day on Saturday with breakfast and lunch. Now I want to ask you a question, guys, as you think about this, mentioning this conference. Uh, is, your, is your inclination, or the, is the rudder of your boat, the rudder of your life, your heart, uh, inclined to say, man, there's an opportunity for me to grow in the faith and get to know other men I'm in? Thank you. Praise God. Sometimes we hear that and we kind of step back and we're like, I know. We start thinking of every reason we can avoid it. I mean, you may have legitimate reasons, right? I mean, don't get, I know people have schedules and calendars and whatnot. So you may have something on the calendar that you can't move uh, or you shouldn't move. You may have a commitment that's significant or the family member and you shouldn't move it, right? So I applaud you in that. Let your yes be no and your no, no. We're entering into heresy world here. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Keep your word. That's wonderful. That's good. It's necessary. However, some of you might be thinking of one of any number of reasons why you can't go, right? You might be thinking, uh, well, um, I really just don't want to go get together with a bunch of guys I don't know. I just really don't feel like that. Or I've got other, I think I'm doing okay with the Lord, and I don't need somebody else to tell me where I need to grow or what I need to change. Or I don't want to be told that I need to read the Bible and pray some more. I already know that, and I'm not doing it. I feel guilty enough. Why on earth would I go be told that I need to do it again? Right? I think, I think it's time to paint the garage. And so when asked, hey, would you join us this Saturday for this? We go, "Uh, you know, I can't because I have to paint the garage. When what we really mean is, a lot of laughter out there. You know what that means. When what we really mean is, I don't want to, for whatever reason, I'm not assuming motives. I don't want to. So I'm going to come up with some reason that I can give you so that I can tell you that I can't. When what I really mean is, I don't want to. Like, Pastor Matt, not being very fair. Well, you might also fear going to some, some uh, men's conference like this because you might have a, a fear of being exposed. What? Exposed? Maybe you're going to go and, and you just are not, you've got a lot of growth to do in your walk with the Lord. Like, can we just be honest? Right? I mean, I've got a lot of growth to do in my walk with the Lord. Right? Ask anybody in my family. Ask anybody who knows me well. And they can start listing things off. Right? And fine, they're free to do that. Right? Because it's true. 
I have a lot of growth to do. But you might be thinking, I have growth to do, and I don't want, uh, I don't want to be exposed in front of other people. God will let me know what it is, when it's the right time, and, uh, and I can just do this alone. I'm a guy. I can handle it. I figured out how to hunt, figured out how to fish, figured out how to work, figured out how to start a business. I figure out God on my own or on my own terms, right? Well, what is this? What is this pattern of not wanting to and colorfully identifying ways to communicate that as, oh, I can't. I think Paul has something to teach us here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Is it possible that the, the reasons we decide not to go to something are because we don't want to, for one of any number of reasons, and yet it comes out as, well, I can't because fill in the blank. The Apostle Paul would call that lying. We have white lies, we've got half-truths, we've got lies that cover for ourselves or they cover for somebody else. We've got undercover lies, right? They masquerade as, uh, as stretching the truth, but as long as that rubber band doesn't break in our exaggeration, that's partially true. We have the silent lie, knowing that what another person believes is not true and that we have the opportunity to correct that misunderstanding and we choose to let it go unsaid. We willfully choose not to correct a falsehood, right? We bend the truth by cheating. We lie to our employer by cheating or by sneaking something out under the, under the rug and nobody, nobody notices except the Lord. I mean, the Bible, the, the falsehood, lying, is, this is not any new thing, right? I mean, the Bible is, when I was a child, I mean, I'm telling you, I lied like the best of them. I actually thought I was one of the best. Um, I just didn't know everybody, like, knew about it. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty good at this. Little did I know. I remember one time my dad called me upstairs. I'm not going to go into the specifics because uh, I'm trying to save face up here a little bit. But uh, there was this time, I mean, I was like dead caught in something. I was in high school. It wasn't good. And, and I was a Christian who was not walking with the Lord. And uh, my dad, I mean, I was caught. And I just kept lying and lying and lying and lying and lying. And my dad said, let's go check. <clears throat> I didn't foresee that. I mean, I know he's smart and all, but Abraham lied, Sarah lied, Moses lied, Aaron lied, Isaac lied, Rebecca lied, Jacob lied, Rachel lied, and David, they all lied along with Peter in the New Testament. Bible's filled with liars. It's a good thing we have one truth teller that comes onto the page. Well, he's been on the page since the beginning, but... Can we be honest about our falsehood this morning? See, right now you have the opportunity to let down the guard, let the Holy Spirit do some work in your heart. I mean, I've given some reasons, but the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows where falsehood lives, where falsehood exists, and where He wants you to grow out of it. We need to recognize the sources of 
our lies and the source of, of honesty, right? Satan is the father of lies. Uh, when Jesus was speaking to those who were ready to stone the woman caught in adultery, several uh, paragraphs down, he's still speaking, and he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer. You see how God links lying with murder. Does in the Beatitudes as well. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. When we lie, we are following the old self, and the old self is a child of the devil. And so, the source of truth is God, who cannot lie. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, when, when God is making a promise, when God is sealing a promise, He can only promise, He can only swear to Himself, because there's nobody greater with Him, nobody than Him, nobody more honest than Him, Hebrews 6.18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope or confident expectation of what is before us. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, 17, is the spirit of truth. And God's word is truth. And falsehood is from Satan, the father of lies, and who does not stand in truth. Now, what about the, the, um, the, what this looks like for us as a believer, right? When a person becomes a believer, he or she steps out of the old self through repentance and into the new self, united with Christ and Christ's body. So Paul begins this with a, a very uh, uh, important tense for us. Having put away falsehood. In other words, when you came to Christ, you put away falsehood. Because now you're in Christ who is truth. So he's not simply saying in the active tense, put it off now. But that's certainly the implication because he talks about putting on as well. So he says that um, we stepped into the person who is truth. As I said, that's the doctrine called our union with Christ, right? Two verses that highlight this, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but what? But Christ who lives truth, who lives in and through me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, for you have died you're, you're old, you've put off the old self in your salvation, and your life is hidden. See that phrase, union with Christ? You're tucked away in God. You're tucked away in Christ. Your life is, is hidden in Christ, who is your life. I'm sorry, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The father of lies and the only source of truth, and we're to walk in him. Ladies, on September 10th, there's a game night that we want to invite you to, and um, you can see where this is going, so this is an opportunity for ladies to come together to get to know one another. We're, we naturally run in our own circles, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. The Lord connects us with friends who become deeper than others. That's okay. But broadly speaking, God has called us to put forward the effort to work on becoming united, working in unity as the body of Christ. Let me just tell you something. This is not about games, because I know some of you are going to go, well, I don't really like games. When 
Maybe, if we're honest, what we mean is, I don't care what activity you choose. I'm not coming. Because I don't want to. What? Got to paint the garage. A different color. <laughs> so as an equal opportunity offender, I want to ask men, how do we need to put off falsehood? Ladies, how do we need to put off falsehood? How do we need to put forward our effort toward growing with men and women in the body of Christ for the sake of building into their lives? Well, I'm comfortable with the friends I have. What a gift. Do you know how many need your friendship? You won't until you have that conversation. You say, oh, I didn't know that somebody else could need me. Well, that's because it's not about how much you have to offer. No offense. It's about everything that Christ has to offer through your life story and how the Lord has hold of your heart to love Him. You may be an introvert, it applies to men and ladies, who says, I just really don't enjoy the crowd scene. And do you know what? In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. The question is, are we in the pursuit of our own comfort? Or are we willing to sacrifice our comfort in order to build meaningful, Christ-centered relationships that strive to build up the body of Christ. Well, I'm really busy. I've got all these things going on. Again, men and ladies, what, what's a lesser priority that you're more greatly committed to that needs to be flipped? Where the greater priority that you're less committed to needs to come up and say, I need to be more committed to the building up of the body of Christ than some of the other things that I have committed to. Remember, we step out of the domain of falsehood into the domain of truth because we are in Christ and we're living to build up the body of Christ. The second thing he talks about is anger. He says we go from, if, uh, from falsehood to, to telling the truth, and if we're angry, we're to pursue godly anger. I mean, he says right out of the gates, be angry and do not sin. Do not let your son go do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Now you may notice that he reverses the pattern here, right? Uh, he says we're to put on if you will righteous anger. Or the assumption is, oh don't worry, you're going to get angry. <laughs> so when you're angry, let's go after it in the right way. So we put on righteous anger and we put off sinful anger or sinful responses from our anger. And both may be true. Why? That we might not give the devil a foothold. Paul's likely taking this as a quote from uh, Psalm 4-4, which is um, uh, when David is fleeing for his life and he's got his troops around him, he's got those who support him. You ever been in a situation, maybe not like that, but in a situation where there's, um, there's conflict, there's bickering, and I've got my side and you've got your side. <clears throat> and they are offended by how I'm being hurt. And so what are they going to do? They're going to take out their anger toward me or that they feel with me. 
on the other people. And the Lord says, when you're angry, be angry about the right things for the right reason and act in the right way. David said, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's being transformed by the renewing of his mind. In the Old Testament, no less. He goes right to the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling and I need you. That's the first place to start every time. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You hear what he's doing? God, I remember that you're faithful. I remember you. I know you. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, Lord. And then he turns and he, he sort of challenges the men around him. I mean, obviously this is written after the exact scenario, but he's not sitting there with a pen as he's talking to the guys, right? Oh men, how long shall you, I'm sorry, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. When you ever see Selah in your Bible, it's sort of this untranslated word. Uh, and uh, it typically means like a pause in the music or a time to pause and contemplate what you're reading which is actually good to do when we read the Psalms sometimes. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. See, David's preaching truth to himself and to his guys. The Lord hears when I call to him, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. When we're anger, we need to determine what is righteous versus what is unrighteous anger, right? David's being falsely accused by his enemies. They're after his life. And in verse 4, he's addressing, probably it seems like commentators tell us, his overzealous friends who would quickly settle things by giving vent to their fierce anger. You ever gone hard after somebody else on behalf of another and then realize later you're wrong? You ever gone hard after somebody else uh, in defense of someone else and then later realize you're still right? Yeah, both are sin. Both would be unrighteous anger. Derek Kidner, commentator, points out that the Hebrew verb is literally tremble. And those translators of the, the Hebrew, trans, I'm sorry, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible would have understood that to mean trembling with anger. The idea is be angry enough so that you don't passively acquiesce to sin, but don't allow your anger to boil up into sinful vengeance or excessive reaction. So righteous anger, which is possible, aligns with what God is angry toward. Sinful anger is angry toward wrong things and passive toward uh, the wrong things as well. We can be passive toward our sin, which God detests, and yet another person sins in a lesser way against us, and all of a sudden, hey, we found our anger. I found my voice. Well, it just needs to be directed at somebody else. The Lord says, no, put that aside. Be angry, but don't sin. Sometimes with those areas that we need to actually be angry toward, we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's hard. I mean, God, God knows. God knows this is my struggle. God knows I'm, I'm Irish. He made me a redhead. He, sorry, this, I didn't think through this part, so I'm just going to offend people like crazy right here. <laughs> my dad was real angry. So you learned habits 
that we're wrong and sinful doesn't mean that it's determinative for your future. Each of us is called. As we learn what righteousness looks like in Christ, to take it and put it into practice, allow the Lord to work it through us toward other people. Listen to what James says in two passages. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I need that. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Say that with me. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then three chapters later, we see him begin to unfold, and he asks this rhetorical question, right? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it this, that your passions are at war within you? That would be similar to the desire, those deceitful desires he mentions in verse 20. You're, you desire, there it is, and you do not have, so you murder. Or you might say, so you hate in your heart. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I really pray that God would give me a huge house because I just really want to serve the body of Christ. Really? <laughs> That's been my falsehood before. But how I counsel myself into justification, lying not only to others but to myself, and at times becoming angry with God that he doesn't give me what I want for the fabricated reasons I have ginned up in my own heart. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world make himself an enemy of God. That's what you want. That's what you want. Sometimes God says, go ahead, that's judgment enough. Go ahead. Have what you want. You're going to forfeit your heavenly reward, but that's what you want. All right. Or do you suppose it has no pur it's to no purpose when the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. Do you remember when we looked at Malachi? The reason that God was angry for his people is when they were getting divorced and they were, the, 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 the men were treating their younger, uh, their wives like garbage and they were ignoring them and leaving them and going and doing their own thing and finding other women. The purpose wasn't just, hey, I want everybody to be, together, to be forever, together forever and happy. The purpose was, you both have the Spirit of God in you. And I'm jealous for my spirit to be treated in this way. When we behave this way against one another, we're doing so with the Spirit of God indwelling us. We're tearing apart. We can't tear apart the Spirit, but we're tearing apart that which is meant to be united by the Spirit of God. But He gives more grace. Somebody say hallelujah there. Therefore, it... Did anybody say it? Hallelujah. We ought to read the Bible and not just be like, oh, there's another verse. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, render yourself, humble yourself, therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Brothers and sisters, this is another sermon, but the devil cannot make you do anything. Do not live under the lie that the devil made me do it. Don't be afraid of Satan. Be wise. Do not be afraid of him. Because you are in Christ and nothing happens in your life that the Lord God of heaven doesn't say, this is for your good, even some of our sin. But we dare not blame it on the devil. We dare not blame it on the Lord. We, we blame it on the passions of our flesh, which are waging war. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. This is, not, this is not a simple, yeah, I really need to work on that. Well, what time is the game on? Be wretched. Mourn your sin. Grieve your sin. Weep over your sin. Oh, that we would weep more. Oh, that I would weep more over our sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Keep in mind as we saw with David in Psalm 4, Psalm 4, the Old Testament, that we're to put off the old way of life, be transformed by the renewing of our mind and put on the new life in the New Testament as we see it in Christ or in David's day in Yahweh, following and walking in the Lord. David goes to the Lord in prayer and he exhorts and he challenges men to these things. He says, remember, God sets apart the godly for himself. He says, hey, consider in your own hearts, be silent. In other words, you're angry. You might even be angry at the wrong thing, but don't vent your anger. Why? Be silent before the Lord. Offer, listen, he says, be silent. Worship God and put your trust in the Lord. Friend, are you angry this morning? In what way do you need to put your trust in the Lord while worshiping Him? Offer right gifts Put your trust in the Lord. Listen, as we grow to be more like Jesus, we will also grow in righteous anger towards sin. But first and foremost, we need to be angry with our own sin before the sin of others. Second, we need to be righteously angry toward things in the world that anger God. So we ask ourselves, am I angry about this? Yes. Does it square with the Word of God? Would God be angry about this? Just because we're angry for what we believe God would be angry toward doesn't give us license to handle it in ungodly ways. Angry at the right thing for the right reason handled in the right way. And anything else is something that we need to put off, be transformed in the renewing of our mind, and put it on. Romans 12, 19, beloved. I love that. He's about to give a challenge. And he starts with what? Beloved. Never avenge yourselves, but leave, it to the, leave room or leave it to the wrath of God. But consider the, the, the gravity of that statement. See, if I handle it, it's my sinful uh, vengeance that comes after it. If I step back, not that we wish God's wrath on anyone, but God says, leave it to me. I'll avenge. Vengeance is mine. 
I will repay, says the Lord. And then the third thing he mentions in this text here is that we are to uh, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now notice the reason, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So here we are again in our pattern. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that you'll learn to apply this pattern in every area of your life. We're to put off stealing. We're to put, off, put on honest work. Why? As our mind is being renewed and transformed so that we can share with those in need, which is godly generosity. So we're to put off whatever would keep us from doing honest work or just or work itself. Well, dishonest work for sure, right? This isn't to, to speak of anybody who's unable to work physically. It's not what I'm referring to, but this is an intentional um, laziness. This is an intentional deceptiveness when he's talking about stealing here. Psalm 13, 4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Laziness might keep us from doing honest work. We go to work, we pretend like we're working, we take a paycheck as though we'd worked hard. That's stealing. Excuses. We're to put on whatever work the Lord would provide with. Friends, this means sometimes we don't look for, we don't wait for the perfect job. We take a job that would demonstrate faithfulness and a willingness to labor, put our hand to the plow. I remember when I was in college one time, I was looking for a job, and I was looking to get in the restaurant business, and I got a job offer from, uh, or no, I hadn't gone yet, uh, and I told a friend, um, I, I, by the way, if you work here, please don't be offended because you're going to see my humbling very quickly here. But I said, I will never work at McDonald's. Guess where I was working about five days later? <laughs> McDonald's. Yeah. The last time I tell the Lord I'm not doing something, but unfortunately not true. I'm waiting for the right job for me. Boy, it's haughty. Be willing to do honest, hard, laborious work. That's what this, this word actually kind of carries with it. But then the, then the motivation that he might have something to share with one in need. So don't miss the purpose. The purpose is not work so that you can gain more, so that you can keep more. Now, this isn't a, a, a comment on if, if God has blessed some people with wealth and others without. This isn't a comment about that. No, that's, this isn't a comment about the desire for wealth. It's about a desire to be faithful to the Lord and, and do that which God has created me to do, which is to work, which is to provide for my family right? And um, some have asked this question, when is a thief no longer a thief? When he's willing to work to give something to someone else. That's what would show repentance. We would naturally answer the question, when is a thief not a thief? Well, when he stops stealing. No, it hasn't quite gone full circle yet to the purpose and the motive for why God created us to do it. A wonderful prayer, and we'll wrap up Proverbs Proverbs 30, verse 8. I think I mentioned this text a few weeks ago, and I said it was from the Psalms, if I recall. But uh, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. One comment about generosity. I have seen, and I am thankful for the incredible amounts of generosity I have seen through this church. 
There have been times that we've mentioned a need or spread the word about a need, and it is quicker than I've asked the Lord. Lord, would you provide for this? It's quicker than I think it's going to happen. I'm not about to present a need to you, by the way. I'm not buttering you up. I'm thankful for God's work through you who are hardworking folks who love the glory of God, who want to see God glorified in our midst by, as we work to meet the needs of others. And as I was writing this, thinking through this, I was, th- I was writing this with thankfulness in my hearts. So I praise God for us in that way, for you in that way. The school of Christ teaches us that we're to live in these ways which affirm the Ten Commandments and the greatest commandment Jesus gave in the New Testament. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. So as we speak truthfully, why? In order to build up the body of Christ, being godly about what we're angry about and our handling of it, and working hard honestly so that we can meet the needs of others, there are just three ways that we honor this new commandment. The question I have for you this morning is, what made you angry this morning? So something that God's Word had for you this morning that, that made you a little irritated. There's another word for that. It's called anger. The encouragement is to be angry about it, sure, but don't sin. Be angry about the right things. Be angry toward your sin. Thankful for your Savior. Or are you possibly even lying to yourself about areas in your life that need work which God the Holy Spirit promises to provide, to support you through, even to empower. As we take communion celebrating the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, let's ask the Lord to reveal the areas of our heart that need to be transformed. Be confident that Christ has accomplished every righteousness and trust Him as we walk in the faith that He has supplied for us to obey him faithfully. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are and we thank you for uh, the work that you accomplish in our lives. And you call us to walk it out and to flesh it out. And I'll be honest, it's, uh, I think we all would agree when we'd say it's scary at times because we don't know how that's going to unfold. But we can trust you in that. We can trust you in the uncertainty. We can trust you in uh, the power, the courage, the, the strength, the wisdom to be able to do what we know that we need to be doing because you're a God who's faithful. as we celebrate your perfect righteous life and your sacrificial loving death, conquering sin, Father, would you move in this place and work in our hearts? This is our worship to you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.